the word gospel is used often to describe something which is absolutely true. That's the gospel truth. We hear that type of thing said. Of course, Bible believers use the word gospel in a very specific way, the good news. It's the good news of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, about which we've sung and, and shared today already <clears throat> to a great, uh, to, uh, in a great way. And why is it good news? Because it met man's greatest need. Whatever the greatest need is, if there's a remedy, if there's an answer, then that certainly is good news, great news. So relative to human existence, the gospel is of infinite worth. And it's good to be reminded <clears throat> of this truth. Um, toyed around, played around with a couple of dot titles, but I settled on the title for today's message, Details on the Death of Christ. Details on the Death of Christ. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll follow up with the resurrection and the, the burial and resurrection, allude to that today, but just focusing on the death of Christ. You say, well, preacher, we know that. Uh, I've heard that my whole life, you might be thinking, and some of you have. But I like what Spurgeon said, and I, uh, said, and I just read it recently. It says, the bulk of people do not know the first principles of the gospel. That is, really know and understand. We, that is, we preachers, assume too much when we take it for granted that our hearers, all of them, <clears throat> understand the gospel. That is such a true statement that I have been in dialogue with a few of you, primarily with one of you, not in debate, but in discussion and in dialogue about a very spe specific aspect of the gospel. And this person has been saved longer than me, and I've been saved 46 years. And so one would think we ought to have it all down just pat, right? We're talking about something which is infinite, from an infinite God, and uh, uh, was planned, if you will, ordained, decreed, in eternity past. And so, should I be too surprised that I don't have it all figured out yet? I really shouldn't be. Spurgeon was right. We need to be reminded again and again of the gospel, folks, for the gospel is not just a justifying doctrine. It is a sanctifying doctrine doctrine. It's Christ in me, now the hope of glory, and living uh, for him, and him living through me. And so we need to be reminded of gospel truth all the time. With that as a bit of a backdrop, if you would, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is known as the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going to focus <clears throat> just on verse 3 today, but getting the context Picking up to verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have re uh, received, and in which you stand. In other words, uh, I shared this with you at an earlier date. You believed it. You stand in that by which you were saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That is, if you truly believed then you stand in that. 
But you'll have to evaluate whether or not you truly believed. In, in fact, uh, later in, or in chapter 11, he said, examine yourself to make sure that you're in the faith. And he reiterates it even here. If you did truly believe, then you do stand in the good news, the gospel. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Just verse 3 this morning, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. If you're taking notes, a three-point outline. First of all, Christ died. It was a voluntary suffering death. And this first point we see in the summary of the gospel is that Christ died. He actually died. And folks, it's critical. It's a critical point as a payment for sin had to be made. You know the verse, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There was a payment that was due, the debt that was created, and the debt is the, uh, the sin, and the payment is that penalty, and that being death. Folks, man's deadliest foe, that is death, was confronted head-on by man's dearest friend, that is the Lord of glory, who became man and willingly uh, suffered that voluntary, that willing, suffering death of, uh, at the hands of man uh, that the Lord Jesus experienced. And three points on that, subpoints, if you will. First of all, he willingly endured physical torture. I mean, we see that much uh, in the Gospels, the Gospels which were, were read earlier, all four of the Gospels gave us a, a, a summary of what happened, but certainly we can't uh, fully understand to the degree uh, that he, what he experienced, physical death, um, and, uh, and, and all, rest, all the rest. Jesus didn't just feel faint. He didn't just feel, feel ill. He didn't just have a bad day. He actually and literally died. He was beaten with fists and with clubs. He was whipped. He was spat upon. Uh, upon the thorns pressed into his scalp, nailed to a wooden cross. And all of that, not for anything which he had done. Amen? Not for any guilt of his own, but he did it as uh, one who took our place. It was a suffering death that he experienced. In fact, Isaiah fifty-two fourteen intimates. Uh, it says that you could hardly even recognize. Just before the chapter on the suffering servant, chapter fifty-three of Isaiah, chapter fifty-two. I think the last verse of chapter fifty-two, uh, leading into chapter fifty-three, says that you could hardly even recognize that he was a human. He was so marred, he was so beaten, uh, it was as if an animal had been ripped apart. Uh, that's the degree of the physical suffering that he experienced. Secondly, he willingly endured emotional anguish. His people turned on him. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. Uh, his mother is at the, the foot of the cross, certainly uh, 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 lamenting, crying, sorrowing what was happening to her dear son. He was betrayed uh, and was sold like a piece of livestock by Judas. He was kissed uh, um, by a, uh, given a traitorous kiss. The people, the masses, had said just days earlier, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, only to then say, crucify him, crucify him. 
the anguish of soul that he experienced is, stands alone in history as the greatest uh, loss, loss uh, uh, of, uh, in one's uh, heart, one's soul that anyone has ever experienced. Whatever your greatest loss is, take it uh, infinitely greater of what Christ suffered for you and for me. And then, thirdly, he willingly endured spiritual rejection. Now, cross through that line, rejection, um, and this has to do with the discussions that I've been having with uh, some Red Bridgers, primarily uh, one brother and myself. I don't think I like uh, that word rejection anymore. In one of our songs, it had, uh, he bore the wrath, and that begs the question, what actually took place uh, in the dynamic of God the Father and God the Son when Christ was on the was on the cross, and I have, I mean, I have labored over this. There was a day uh, that I uh, that I would say the full weight of God's wrath was poured out on His Son at the cross, and I'm not saying I don't hold to that, but I'm vacillating a little bit because of this. It's Father, Son, and the Godhead established that this isn't one of our creations. And what father would truly, ultimately reject his own child? Think about it. And again, uh, uh, we're only working with the, the terminology and the concepts that God has given us in his word. No matter what your child has done my, or, or who your child becomes, think of the worst case possible scenario. You would still claim him or her. My guess is... Well, how much more is the father's love for his son, the son of his love? And so, uh, I don't know what the concept is. I don't know, is it uh, alienation? That is, he endured spiritual, uh, that is, that oneness somehow was, uh, there was an alienation. Uh, there was a, uh, there was something. Y'all appreciated all the, the dilemma that, uh, that, and so I don't, I can't take in and again, maybe I ought not be surprised by this. I can't uh, appreciate what happened in the father-son dynamic at the cross. Because he became sin for us. He took the penalty, amen? He did die. He, uh, he did suffer. He actually did. 2 Corinthians 5, and, and, and uh, I'll share in just a moment, says that he actually became sin for us. And yet, what does that mean happened. And in fact, Psalm 22 and the Gospels recorded says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which he said on the cross. Is he saying that I am anguishing and I don't sense that God is near me any longer? Or in fact, is the Father pouring out the full dose of his wrath on the Son? Which in Scripture is going to take place, by the way. And it's going to take place at the great white throne judgment. And so one can argue, well, uh, if it's going to take place upon the lost and unbelievers at that time, then ergo it follows that it was poured out on him at the cross for those who will be forgiven. And so, folks, I, uh, I really am admittedly 46 years into salvation and, and uh, um, most of that time pushing 40 years into the ministry, don't doubt the gospel and do not have any hesitancy uh, in proclaiming Christ died to pay the penalty. What actually happened 
at the father-son level. What was that dynamic? Now, you might be saying, preacher, you are, you are, much learning have made thee mad. <laughs> You're wrestling over something. Just simply believe that uh, there was, that in some way, uh, shape, or form, maybe ultimately known only to God. Uh, and, and if you're sitting there thinking, well, uh, I know the answer to this. Uh, why don't you know it? Be careful. Um, take heed when you stand, lest you fall. Because uh, this whole concept of what happened in the, how did the, the dynamic shift or change or adjust when he bore the penalty for sin? One thing I do know, it was a grave situation. The gravity is infinite, and again, I guess I'm comforted in the thought, maybe, maybe it's not mine to fully know and understand. But we do know that something happened, and the reason is, is because he was bearing sin, and the answer, that's because God is holy. For Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The God-man bore the penalty for sin on the cross because the holiness of God had to reject sin and sin had to, be, um, had to have a payment. Galatians 3.13 tells us Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now, again, what does that mean, being made a curse for us? Uh, it's hard to know the, uh, the quantity and quality of what, how the Father viewed the offering of his Son. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So he, he paid the, the penalty, he met the debt, uh, and maybe it's all tied up in the mind of the Godhead to know how that dynamic um, changed, adjusted, um, and the like. Um, I, I sense you all are not quite as occupied with this thought as am I. Um, <laughs> that's good. That's probably good because I have been laboring over this thought for some time. You who are more learned, let me know uh, how I can uh, uh, unwrestle uh, with this. Uh, again, it is not questioning what happened. It's not even question, uh, what happened in the sense that Jesus died as a payment, as an atonement, why he did so, but that father-son dynamic, uh, what was that? Well, he died, secondly, for our sins. It was vicarious. That is, action done for another. That's what the word vicarious means, action done for another. He took my place. I should have borne the pain and suffering. I should have been the one who paid the penalty. But by faith in what he has done, he stood in the way. He, uh, uh, he stood in front of me when the judgment was coming my way. The condemnation was coming my way. He stood in the way and took my place. MacArthur accurately stated, God was punishing his own son as if he, Christ, had committed every wicked deed done by every sinner who would ever believe. And that would be me. That would be you if you're a believer. And he did so that he could forgive and treat those redeemed ones as if they had lived Christ's perfect life of righteousness. Folks, that is profound. 
that the way you are viewed from the throne room of heaven is as if you did those righteous deeds because you're clothed in his righteousness by faith. We've a story to tell to the nations that uh, will set their hearts free. It is substitution. And 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now back to that first point. This vicarious substitutionary death was a sinless sacrifice which was offered. Sinless because Jesus was perfect. He had never sinned, but he took upon himself the curse of sin. The God-man took the sinner's place. And, and so, what does that mean? That means that according to Romans chapter 3, because of what Christ did, God could remain just in punishing sin and be the justifier of those who believed. I found a, a, a great uh, chart on this very uh, subject uh, this week. God is just in that he cannot ignore sin. The full penalty has to be met. Or, or, or God has lied, or he's compromised. Or, so he can't, because he is just, this must be the case. But he also is the justifier, and that the penalty was met. He justifies the guilty. He acquits men um, and declares them innocent by virtue of what Christ has done. No, no, check that. By virtue of faith in what Christ has done. Because the, broad, the, the way is broad that leads to death. Uh, most people go down that path. So it's not just by virtue of what Christ has done. It's ver- by virtue of the faith that you have placed in what Christ has done. And that's not intellectually. Well, yeah, I believe that that happened. No, no, no. It is, I believe it happened. And Lord, would you apply that payment to my account? Would you pay for my sin debt and pay it in full? And so by faith, one calls upon him. So it was a sinless sacrifice. It was also, folks, a complete sacrifice which he offered. It was complete. And I want you to, to uh, take note of Hebrews ten fourteen, For by one offering he hath perfected, right there, perfect tense verb, meaning the job was done and it continues to be done. Uh, it was settled and that debt has never accumulated any more uh, that needs to be paid again. It was a once and for all. It was complete. Notice, uh, settled, uh, it was perfected forever. It's the word literally which, uh, which means to carry through to completion. And for whom? Those who are being sanctified. Those who are in the path of holiness. He did it. He completed it. It was a done deal. That's what he meant when he sat on the cross. It is finished. The debt has been paid to the degree that Hebrews 9.12 says, By his own blood he hath he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, folks, I want to, I want to speak to some of our Arminian friends and some of those who believe that you can, one can lose his salvation. If the, he met the payment and the payment was eternal and it was redemption and it's perfect tense verb, it, the job is done, how can one lose that? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Romans 8.1. And so, 
um, get over yourself, I guess, uh, if I could say that, uh, that uh, you're kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 1.5, and if his power is holding you, how are you going to break free of his power if, in fact, you truly know him? And so be, have assurance in your own soul that you're, he's not going to lose you. Christ's resurrected life has provided you, not only was it a complete sacrifice because of what he's done, you now have a new nature. You are a new person. The old man is dead. In fact, Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It, it's not me. It's not my old nature that's living. That, that old nature, he's on the cross. He's dead. But I live in the flesh by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Folks, I don't live a reformed life. I live a resurrected life. I don't live with a cleaned up old man. I live with a new man, a new nature, which has been created in righteousness and true holiness, as Ephesians tells us. It's not trying to pass a New Year's resolution or any such thing. I'm not trying to spruce up the old nature, to get it to act better. It's dead, and the new nature, which is holy, that's the one that's Christ-focused, that's heaven-bound, and now I have a propensity that is a hunger and a thirst for the things of God, not for the things of the world. <clears throat> MacArthur correctly wrote, the believer does not have two competing natures, the old and the new, but one new nature that is still incarcerated in unredeemed flesh. Oh, to be sure, the, the flesh isn't redeemed. My body, my physical attributes are not getting better. That's not the case. Um, I believe it is a serious misunderstanding to think of the believers having both an old and a new nature. Believers do not have dual personalities. There is no such thing as an old nature in the believer. I totally agree with that, but that begs the question, if that's the case, then why do I still sin? Why do you still sin? Because it is my spirit, the, uh, that which communes and relates to God, which is brand new. That's the new nature. Obviously, the flesh, when I got saved uh, 46 years ago, I used to be a little bit handsome and, and, uh, and athletic back in those days. I'll just go ahead and say it. Well, look what's happened to me now. I can barely walk around now. Uh, I don't, I don't uh, uh, wake up and jump out of bed in the morning. I have to be resurrected every morning physically. The body is decaying. Can I get an amen? Can I get a high agree? Can I get an old me? And so that's not been redeemed. It will be redeemed one day at the resurrection of the just, Luke 14, 14. But it's a, and what's more, the soul is not perfect. The mind, will, and the emotions. Anybody still occasionally have an old memory of, uh, of a sinful act flash into your mind that happened 30 years ago? Oh, I'm alone in that. Okay. Well, confession is good for the soul. The rest of you are already perfectly sanctified. I wasn't aware of that. I've heard from your wives. And so that's why I wasn't aware of it. So, of course, we are still sinning, but the sacrifice was complete in that it secured my new nature in how I relate to God. It is securing my new behavior day by day, and one day it will completely secure uh, my, all of my being. He offered a complete sacrifice. He offered an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, maybe, maybe no better illustration 
than the scapegoat in Leviticus chapter 16, where the two live goats were brought to the high priest for a sin offering. One was slain, the other was taken as a scapegoat. And it says, And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat, confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel, their transgressions, all sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send it away. The, the first goat was slaughtered. Now this is the live goat, the scapegoat. Sending it away um, by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, and the goat shall bear upon it all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The goat was alone, having fulfilled the picture of carrying away the sin of the people. More on this next week, but I'm, I'm believing, I believe that that has, speaks of the burial of Christ, the forgotten portion of the gospel. You see, when, when people say, well, what's the, uh, what's the gospel? Well, the death, uh, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, he died for sins, he rose again. The burial is included in our text as a part of the gospel. And I'm going to be sharing more about that, Lord willing, next week. But suffice it to say, the scapegoat is a fitting illustration. So, he died for our sins. Um, uh, he died for our sins, uh, the first part of verse 3, and he did it according to the scriptures. It was a verifiable scriptural death. Folks, the story of the Bible is the story of the glory of God through redemption. Every sacrifice pointed to its fulfillment in Christ. Word of God gives a lot of detail, a lot of specificity about that. But his death, his payment was done according to the Scriptures. You say, how's that? Well, it wasn't just spur of the moment. This plan, this work was devised, was ordained, was decreed in eternity past in the mind of the Godhead. The substitutionary death of Christ was devised. It was planned. It didn't take him by surprise at all. In fact, he came to save his people from their sins. That's why he came. To the degree that this was devised in eternity past, Jesus said uh, in Luke 24, 27, to the men on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, he, he began at Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded in there. The word, we get the word hermeneutics. He opened up unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And, of course, that had to do with the purpose for why he came, uh, his, his uh, death, his burial, his resurrection. His death was planned when? First Peter 1.20 says, delivered by the de- he was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was decreed in eternity past that the Father would send the Son to be the Savior of the world of those who believe. So it was prophesied, uh, it, it, was, it was devised in eternity past, and his work was prophesied with flawless precision, uh, flawless precision. Um, and Scripture makes that clear, that it, the prophecy wasn't general, it, 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 was given, it was given with great specificity, going all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3.15, that from the seed of the woman, that is a virgin conception and birth. It was intimated there, and it was expanded and expounded upon throughout uh, the Old Testament until it was realized uh, in the birth of Christ. And, and all these other prophecies uh, were given um, about the person and work of Christ. Coming to the end of his life in Matthew 26, 56, it says, all this was done 
so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And folks, these were not followers of Christ who made sure that the scripture was fulfilled. These are the enemies of the Lord who made sure that the scriptures were fulfilled. Do you all appreciate that? So we have the enemies, the Christ haters, getting in on seeing, if you will, that the gospel was going to be, uh, was going to happen. And thirdly, according to scriptures, his work was verified. Notice in, uh, in verse uh, 5, uh, he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Verse 6, then of 500, uh, uh, above 500 brethren at one time. In verse 7, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul. And so he was seen, verified, his, his, his work was verified by numerous uh, people who gave testimony of that. We don't know how many, but a sufficient number that would be able to say, independent of one another, he died, he was put in the tomb, he rose again, and I've seen him. He is alive, and he's returning soon. The gospel, the death of Christ, the death he died, the, the debt he paid, For who? For whoever will believe. For whosoever shall call, say it with me, upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Have you called upon him genuinely meaning to and wanting to and desiring him? May 25th, 1977 in the Navy barracks in Washington, D.C., just outside of that, Bethesda, Maryland. A man had shared the gospel with me for four hours. Uh, and uh, uh, I came to the point of recognizing, thinking that I'm taking a step, not recognizing he was drawing me to himself, although I felt the tug on my heart. I was being crushed with the conviction of, and the judgment of sin. And I thought, if I go down this path, my life is forever changed. Well, yeah, <laughs> Vic died, and, and the old one died, and the new one just came alive. I was born again. Have you been born again? Have you truly repented and received by faith what he has done for you? Uh, If not, then let today be the day of salvation. Call upon him from the depth of your soul. Lord, I'm so thankful for this, your word, and the simplicity uh, of the phrasing, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Lord, uh, I'm so thankful that you did that. And yet, the simplicity of the phrasing is juxtaposed with the profundity of the action of what you actually did. Truly, more than we can take in, more than we can understand. And yet, you've given us the simple command. Repent, believe, receive the payment for sin through what Christ has done. Lord, I'm so Uh, Just amazed by that, your goodness, your kindness. It's the kindness of God which led us to repent. And so would you move in the hearts of those who are here who don't know you, any who are listening and watching by way of uh, internet, that you would arrest the, uh, the dead spirit, wake up, quicken the dead spirit, and grant repentance and faith to turn from sin and turn to you. Lord, in your mercy, would you do that, even for your namesake.